Welcome to our After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Our podcast is here to help teachers and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. If you work in education and looking to improve or develop your skills, then this podcast is here to help you. What's it like to be stepping back into a classroom today after your summer break and a new class? Nerve wracking, I'm sure, but I know as dedicated teachers, you wouldn't have it any other way. The start of term is a fresh start, a clean page, and we hope gives you a real buzz of excitement. What things can you do to cope and plan for your fresh start? And it's a question that Helen Morgan and Andy Bridge, lead associates of Thirsty Scholars Partnership, are keen to answer. Helen and Andy share experiences of their times as new teachers and working with a vast amount of early career teachers, encourage them to take their first steps into the classroom. Stepping into the classroom, whether you are new to teaching or an established teacher on the first day of term is tough, even in a normal academic year. Helen and Andy's go-to framework is Barack Rosenshine's Principles of Instruction. And let's hand over to Helen and Andy and start by asking Andy, are you able to actually share with us what the Rosenshine Principles of Instruction are? Yeah, of course. Um, So Barack Rosenshine um, did lots of lesson observations and um, watched what he would consider expert teachers and and basically came up with a list of 10 principles, 10 strategies that he felt um, those teachers include in in their teaching um, that supports like highly effective student learning. So the order that Rosenshine put them in was number one is daily review. Two is present new material using small steps. Three is ask questions. Four, provide models. Five is guiding student practice. Six is checking for student understanding. Seven is obtaining a high success rate. Eight, um, provide scaffold um, for difficult tasks. Nine, independent practice. And 10 is weekly and monthly review. So um, they're in they're in that order in terms of Rosenshine published them in that order. But in the Rosenshine's Principles in Actions book that Tom Sherrington produced recently, he kind of categorised them into four strands that it does make quite a lot of sense. So he grouped them together. One is sequencing concepts and modelling. One is questioning one of reviewing material and one of stages of practice. So there's different ways of grouping them. In essence, they're the, the kind of 10 principles that I think we're maybe going to look at just number one today and then explore the other ones in depth over future um, recordings. Is, is that right? Yes, that's correct, Andy. So, yeah, we're keen to unpack today the um, first principle, which is daily review. But before we move on to that, Helen, are you able to tell us a bit more about the sort of the grounding and the research behind Rosenshine's principles of instruction. Rosenshine's principles of instruction um, aren't new. I think that's probably the first thing to say about them. Um, They first came into the public domain in 2010 um, through a pamphlet called Education Practices. And that educational pamphlet outlined the 10 practices that Andy just identified. Um, In lots of respects, Rosenshine's principles are just a set of principles that help teachers to teach well. Um, And I think they've grown out of an interest um, more recently in cognitive science or the science of learning. And I think teachers are increasingly interested in how the brain acquires new information, 
and then how the brain uses that information to help children to become more effective learners. Um, I think one of the things that's really interesting about them is that they're underpinned by educational research. So when we think about research, um, it can often feel really distant and disconnected from classroom practice for teachers. And I think what Rose and Shine's principles do in lots of respects is build that bridge between research and practice and help teachers to cross it so that they can see how the research can actually, in a really straightforward way, inform what they do in the classroom with their learners. I, I can't think for a kind of long time any anything else that's been research-based that's got this much kind of traction in the classroom and this level of popularity in schools. And I think the reasons that you've just outlined there are really, they explain that why so many teachers buy into it. Like it's research-based, people know it's not just a fad that's going to last 12 months and then be laughed at because you know you said that it was published in 2010 but the research that kind of sits under that was going back to the 80s um so it's a, a really like longitudinal study that knows that this works to help students learn more effectively when you read the original pamphlet it's really accessible for teachers and it i think some people have almost criticized it as being like oh it's just common sense it's just um it's what you would do anyway and and i would agree but not not that that's a criticism i think it's a good thing like it is they are common sense things that we probably all do in our teaching without thinking too much, but making staff really aware of them, it, it kind of keeps them at the forefront so we maybe more deliberate in including them in our practice. I think that could be really reassuring for teachers as well that this isn't something that they've never done before. It's something that good teachers have always incorporated into their practice. I think you're right, which is the thing that's really different now particularly when we think about cognitive science and how students learn, is that teachers are much more deliberate and much more intentional in the way that they do it. So almost we're not doing it by default, we're, we're doing it by design. So these strategies aren't just randomly dropped into teachers' practice, they're really planned in and they're well considered and really well thought about. Yeah, all I would add is that um, so, so many schools have really kind of bought into this idea and they're designing whole CPD programs around it and really investing a lot of time into it. One thing I, I would just be a little bit cautious about is um, some schools kind of thinking it's like the holy grail of school improvement. And I think, you know, there's a, a, a lot of merit to Rosenstein's principles in action, but it's it's pedagogical techniques. And for me, what we need to get right first is the curriculum that sits under it. So some of those um, principles about the daily review and the, the independent practice, the week, month, weekly and monthly review, if the, the right well-sequenced knowledge-rich curriculum isn't in place in advance of getting staff to practice these techniques, you're probably going to do more damage than good because you'll help move either misconceptions or incorrect information or not the most important information from students working memory into the long-term memory. So for me, I'm a big fan of Rosenstein's principles in action as long as there's some real careful thought gone into the curriculum in advance of it being implemented. I think really building on that as well, you know, you, you kind of talked about that idea there of um, the principles as the holy grail, but actually they don't cover everything that we need to think about in terms of education. So 
They don't talk about things like reading. Um, they don't really address things like literacy. And I think it's really important that we understand that education is, is you know, a, a big roadmap for children. And these are just part of that roadmap, but they can be really helpful. I think one of the, the things we need to remember is that they're also not a checklist for teachers. So that teachers don't just, if you like, tick the boxes of daily review or presenting information in small steps in a superficial way. The key with the principles is that they really drive and inform your practice so that they're used in a meaningful way to improve learning for students. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And I think one thing that's quite attractive about them, like with the the new early career framework, um, there's quite a significant move towards like an instructional coaching model. Um, and even outside of early career teachers, a lot of schools are implementing that, you know, the deliberate practice of staff um, refining small aspects of their pedagogy. And I think um, some of these principles really lend themselves well to that, you know, the questioning strategies um, in particular lend themselves really well to focusing on on one deliberate technique and getting some feedback and focusing on that granular level improvement. I think the other thing that's really attractive about them in terms of helping teachers to develop is that idea that lots of the research came from Rosenshine and his colleagues observing what they describe as master teachers. In other words, expert teachers who were seeing some really significant gains from using the principles in their practice. And I think when, you know, principles are grounded in what teachers are actually doing and we see that having a real impact, it can really help um, to teachers to, to, to kind of see that these ideas have credibility. Thank you both, Helen and Andy. It's great to hear you sort of talking and, and setting the um, the conversation. Um, around the 10 principles and, and you've used sort of terms such as context and how it's important that um, they're grounded and, and impactful, um, but also not setting aside that there needs to be good teaching taking place. There needs to be a strong sequence curriculum before you actually start to embed these principles of instruction um, on, on top of that. It's sort of the icing on the cake, as I understand it. Um, it would be really good now to start to actually unpack as we talked about, and we're going to cover these over a number of podcasts, but the 10 different principles of instruction. And the first one, as you mentioned, Andy, at the beginning is daily review. Um, so for anyone who's new to Rosenshine's principles, Andy, what, what is daily review? So it, it really is as straightforward as it sounds in that it, we're not assuming that everything we've talked day before has been remembered and retained um, and that we're going to need to keep reviewing and, and recapping that. Helen, I don't know if you want to talk about any of the science of memory and forgetting um, and how that, that comes into it. Yeah, it's interesting. I always think about daily review as being the antidote to, to forgetting things. Um, and, you know, as, as we as we get older, we all struggle to remember things. But I think we think that children find it really easy to remember things and you know you actually take on board the amount they're expected to learn and remember across any one day um, different subjects different teachers and it's huge so I think what daily review helps them to do is is remember more um, and you know if we think about our memory 
if we don't review things and we don't take time to try and remember them, our memory diminishes. Um, we remember fewer details about things. We're not able to make as many connections. And, you know, retrieval ultimately is, is quite hard. And, you know, lots of teachers who are listening today will be familiar with the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, which says something like 50% of what we learn, we forget within the first 20 minutes. So we've got to find ways of helping students to be able to retrieve information, to recall it, um, but also for us to check that the information that they're, they're if you like, learning um, is the right information, that there aren't misconceptions and that there aren't errors. Now, I think you've um, summed it up really well there that there isn't particularly anything um, groundbreaking, as we've said, this isn't new. Teachers have always helped students revise, but it's maybe having that awareness that the revision shouldn't come at the end of the course for it to be really effective. We do need it to literally be daily. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're both English teachers, and I think one of the things that we often do is we teach English literature at Key Stage 4 where students have to read a range of texts and a range of poetry. And, you know, if they do a text like Romeo and Juliet at the beginning of year 10, and then they don't come back to it until they're revising it in year 11, then they're going to have forgotten a lot of the information and particularly a lot of the detail that they need to remember. And I think daily review really helps them to actually retain what's important and to retain some of that key information so that they can use it really effectively over time. Um, I don't know if you see any of that in school, Andy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, we teach English. One thing that um, always stands out in my memory is when, when you tell students at the start of their GCSE course that their English exams are closed book, that the 15 or 18 poems, depending on what exam board they're going to do, won't necessarily be printed in the exam and they'll just need to know them or that they don't have a copy of Macbeth or Romeo and Juliet in their exam. They just need to know the quotes. Like you see their eyes think, oh my God, like it's impossible to rem to remember that amount of information. But once you start to embed this into your teaching and um, you know you map that through the courses, I think it surprises the students when, you know, before you get to the exam and you're doing practices, how much they, they can remember if they're taught kind of effectively and they're taught how to do that. Um, you know, you, you double that and you add science on there where there's a huge amount to learn and then maybe languages and history and, you know, you, you go across the subjects. And I think we've got to be quite strategic in that process of helping them to remember that information. And that's what daily review does. It helps to adopt perhaps a more strategic approach to that for students where it's not random, it's not unplanned, it's really structured um, over time. And I think, you know, one of the things that Andy and I have talked about is the importance of mapping that out and structuring it really carefully. Yeah, I think it can be quite tempting to think, oh, um, daily review, I'll cobble together a quick 10 question quiz. Um, and, and that might help, it might work, it might, um, you know, jog the memories from what they did yesterday. But for it to be really effective, I think it is so important that as a middle leader, department leader, you're working with your teams to ensure you've really got that full curriculum coverage, that you're asking the right questions. 
it, it sounds easy, but actually designing, particularly multiple choice questions, um, designing them well is really tricky, really challenging to make sure that have you got credible answers? Are there any that are kind of detractors that might trip the students up intentionally or um, is your wording of the question clear? Is there a sufficient level of challenge for your really able students? That process in itself is quite time consuming and quite difficult. It needs a lot of careful thought and planning rather than just stumbling through this each day planning for the next day's daily review. I think it needs a much more strategic approach in advance. Thank you, Andy and Helen. It's great to kind of think about how these need to be carefully planned and very considered and embedded within sort of lesson plans and structures. And I know we've discussed, um, I think you've touched on on how useful the daily review can be, but is there any sort of any nuggets or pieces of information that you think in addition that you'd like to share around um, how useful it is? Yeah, I mean, I think as with any aspect of pedagogy, what you don't want to do is bore the students. Um, so I think variety is good. Um, you know, I'm not saying do it sometimes and don't do it sometimes, as in always have it there, but your method of um, daily review, the activity that the students are doing, um, I think is uh, is helpful if you vary that. Um, having said that, always having it there, I just find is such an effective routine to start your lesson that the students know that they're going to enter the room in silence. There'll be a retrieval activity for them to do. It's a really calm start to the lesson. You can do the register, you can give out your resources. I personally find that a really um, calm and effective way. The students are settled. They're doing something purposeful. They know what to expect as they come in. Um, I find a really helpful routine. One, one thing I just think you need to be careful of is the, the number of students that you're involving. So for me, the best retrieval status daily reviews involve everybody in the room. It's a, a method for you as the teacher to see what every single student can recall from um, yesterday's lesson, as opposed to just picking a few students or um, yeah, Helen and I were laughing about kind of, it just comes so naturally to us all to say, oh, you, you remember what we did yesterday? Like you're all right with the content we covered yesterday. Should we plow on with act two? Um, and that's just like no use to anyone other than reassuring us that we're okay to keep going because the students will just nod blindly or ignore you. <laughs> like having a really precise method of seeing what they can actually remember and having that be in all of the students in the room is really powerful. Yeah, very useful. Helen, did you, did you have any strong examples of how, how it's important to have a daily review embedded? Yeah, I think Andy's point is is really important about that idea of routine for students. You know, students like certainty. They like consistency because when it's certain and when it's consistent, it makes them feel really safe. Um, and at that point, they'll actually take those intellectual risks and they'll they'll think harder and they'll work more. I think for me, one of the, the real benefits of daily review is as students begin to remember more and know more, then they make more connections um, and they'll make more connections between what they're learning in that lesson or what they're recalling and things that they're doing within the subject. But they'll also start to make connections beyond the subject and, and possibly even beyond school. And as we build those bigger scheme or those bigger, if you like, roadmaps of connections for students, then what we develop are what I would describe as thinking learners. Um, 
learners who know enough to be able to figure things out. And I think that's really important. And I think one of the things that um, teachers find really, really hard is helping students to be able to transfer their learning from one situation or context to another. I think as we build knowledge through daily review, students find it much easier to make those connections to do that transferability. I think the other thing that it's maybe worth adding is, you know, Andy talked about silent retrieval, coming to the classroom, being silent, doing the retrieval practice. That can have huge value because what you're asking students to do often is think really hard. Um, but it can be tempting to think that um, daily review is not interactive, but it can be. So some, you know, some examples of daily review will see the teacher working through a homework where they're reviewing the homework, reviewing where students made errors, um, reviewing misconceptions, possibly doing some reteaching. So again, it's it's not a one size fits all strategy. Um, it's a strategy that can be used to achieve different things. And again, that makes it probably for me um, more powerful. Yeah, no, I, I'd absolutely agree. And like that example I gave, maybe how I like to start my lessons for other people, um, that might not work. But, you know, the the, the daily review we, we're looking at here in the context of being the first part of your lesson, but actually some of these daily review strategies can be at any part of your lesson. You know, there might be a discussion activity a paired narrating what you learned in yesterday's lesson that comes later in the lesson. And I think that's the that comes into the variety, you know, the, the method that you choose. And, and like you said, Helen, designing something for me that makes the students think hard is so important because it's really easy for daily review. If it's just a 10 question quiz from yesterday for the students to turn to the page before in their exercise book and see all the answers so thinking about you know is it going to be before their exercise books are given out or is it everybody close your books now you're going to do this on a mini whiteboard you're going to do it online paper um, because if it's not hard it's not going to help the students to remember i think that's that's both really valuable comments and also from from uh, so being a previous teacher i think having those structures and strategies in place to manage your lessons effectively, classroom management, giving some sense of structure as well, and setting the tone of the sessions really, really helps. So I think this is where the daily review can really, really sort of come into its own. Um, and whether you approach that as a fun time activity, you know, all up and running around, or whether, uh, you know, it's a, a silent activity, it's still a good way of reflecting on learning and it helps embed sort of the memory practice as well. So moving on now, I think it would be really great to actually think about and, and not being prescriptive here. But Andy, how, how long should teachers actually realistically spend on doing a daily re review in every lesson? So I think um, I know that there's a kind of body of research that looked at specific timings. Was it like eight minutes, Helen? I think was the 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 optimum five to eight minutes. Um, but I mean, what I would say is that we're professionals and we need to use our judgment. So, of course, you don't want your um, review activity to be 30 seconds to tick a box that you've reviewed some material. And equally, you don't want it to go on for so long and drag out into your lesson to the extent that you're not getting through any new material. The, there's got to be a balancing act. But for me, um, there needs to be a little bit of teacher autonomy there 
in terms of owning their planning and actually thinking about the learning how long is appropriate to spend on this how long um, is a good use of time and actually having that confidence at times to say actually the retrieval stats we've done has just shown me that you've got some significant misconceptions about what we covered yesterday I'm going to change what we're doing in today's lesson as a result or I'm going to change what we're doing next week because I think we need to spend a little bit longer on that so for me you know I know the research does list some some optimum times but I think there needs to be discretion and a bit of autonomy there gone a little bit too far with it and they're expecting that their teachers have got these 10 strategies embedded in every single lesson in order timed militantly um and for me there are a set of principles that you know you're going to incorporate into your practice but it might not be all in one lesson it might be over a series of lessons it might be some of them that are appropriate and some of them that you don't use so for me there's there needs to be a little bit of discretion there i'd, I'd agree with that you know i think the, the point is that daily review needs to be meaningful and it needs to help learning um and you know it's not going to help if a teacher does daily review every day for 55 minutes so there's only five minutes left for new learning um but i think putting times on things uh, we know from the literacy hour it's not particularly productive or helpful i think the five to eight minutes is there as a largely as a, a guide for teachers i think the key thing is it again you know we need to be clear why we're doing it but also it needs to be planned so if you've planned it carefully then the time it takes um, should help you to make it meaningful because you'll have planned the amount of time that it will take for students to to do that sometimes like andy says um you know a teacher minute is a wonderful thing and a teacher five minutes can be a wonderful thing. Um, but using the guide rather than, you know, absolute rules is 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 really key. And I think one of the things to remember with Rose and Shine's principles is they're not called Rose and Shine's rules. They're principles to, to support your practice, not principles that restrict your practice. Thank you. That's really good to sort of clarify the, the concepts of that these aren't things that should be imposed. These are here as a sort of a framework to support um, and not, uh, you know, more of a carrot than a stick, I think, because often uh, teachers feel that this is the latest practice that needs to be introduced. Um, so it's actually really um, invigorating to have something that, you know, is embedded in in sort of genuine common sense would you say yeah, um i think yeah. it's a, a set of things that you you know make up a good lesson that you can dip into and select the most appropriate ones yeah that's brilliant that's really good concept a way of wrapping it up a toolkit so andy i think you know it would be great you're you're a, a vice a deputy principal of, of a school and uh, you look after sort of developing your teachers in your environment have you got any examples? I think we've shared some already around how they work. And are there any really key resources that you'd recommend that could be used as part of the daily review process? Yeah, I think where, where I've seen this be done really effectively is where there's some kind of, well, I think once the students have had their recall, they need to be able to see what the correct answers are. They need to have something to you know, judge their success against, to correct their learning if they have made mistakes. So I think that stage is really important, um, but also that the, the teacher has a way of gathering that information in. There's no, yeah, there, there probably is some benefit to them doing a short recall activity, but I think the teacher's missing 
something huge if they don't use that information, if they don't have a way of capturing it and finding out which aspects of a prior lesson that students struggled with. So for me, you know, there's tips and tricks that teachers can use to capture that information um, without too much workload. So particularly if you're a school that's got some some apps, some resources that embraces kind of technology, there's things like Tassamai and Hegarty and Carousel Learning and Quizlet. Microsoft Forms is a really good way of quickly capturing um, information from a, from a number of students. And they're really useful as well because it, it does what we mentioned before, which is involve everybody in the room rather than just picking one or two students. I think kind of building on that as well, you know, that capturing everybody in the room is really important with this. Um, and one of the things that Rose and Shine um, talks about is that students should have a, a high success rate. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at the success rate that, that is recommended, it's about 80% of students that have got it, that can retrieve and recall things. I think when we think about kind of practicing classrooms as well, when teachers make this part of their regular practice, then students develop their automaticity, they develop their fluency of recall, um, and that again improves the learning process. Um, we want them to be fluent, um, we want them to be able to do things with some element of speed and some element of precision. So I think that regularity and as Andy said earlier routine is absolutely critical. Yeah and once you've got that fluency they, they kind of tie into the other principles because your independent practice becomes so much smoother and the students are used to that they're not as reliant on the teacher you can gradually remove the scaffolding because they've built that fluency and the automaticity so for me like you, you can work on one distinct aspect of these but they do they do tie in and they do support each other that's excellent to hear i think you know one of our courses that we focused on is around creating independent learners and and around retrieval practice and having sort of some sort of structure to help build those those skill sets i think rose and shines also actually um, leads to that as well and talks to that kind of need um i think also we've talked about all the positives around um sort of using daily review and and the principles of instruction are there any challenges that we're aware of when we're looking to actually embed a daily review within our, our practice? Yeah, for, for me, the, the two main challenges probably, um, I mean, once you've sorted your method of involving everybody, that'd be the first one, but the remaining two I would say are about efficiency. Number one being um, time efficient, as we've said, not, not letting it go on for 55 minutes so you can't cover any new content um, and just keeping an eye on that time and using your judgment where you do need to extend it but also not letting it just drag on for the sake of it. Um, but also your workload efficiency. So I've already said that to make these really successful, there probably needs to be some work front loaded um, to design the questions well. But what I, what you wouldn't want is to then generate a huge amount of workload for the teacher to gather that information in and see, see what students have got right and wrong. So finding strategies, whether it is apps, whether it's spreadsheets, whether it's self-marking and reporting, finding quick methods of making that workload sustainable um, is I think really important So the last thing that you want to do is um, set this up as a part of your routine that's really good for the students but it makes your own workload unsustainable. Yeah I think the, the, the daily review monster is something that we need to you know lock in the cupboard you know if I was to give one I suppose one piece of advice it's about making sure that we keep it meaningful and we keep it manageable 
Um, because if it's meaningful and it's manageable, it's probably going to have some impact on learners and actually teachers then are going to invest in it more. Um, I think that the key thing for me um, in terms of challenges is making sure that we don't move to the checklist approach and the list of rules because at the point when we do that, that's when we lose the focus on learning and we lose the focus on thinking how effective is our teaching and what kinds of impact is it having on learning and we just look at ticking the, the box and you know teaching isn't about compliance um, you don't develop great schools and you don't develop great learners through a compliance culture you develop great schools and great learners through a culture of commitment and a commitment to that culture of learning and I think for me that's really key. I think that's fabulous Helen thinking about a culture of commitment and also realising the benefits of actually having sort of a strong foundation and, and framework to to utilise and pick as you mentioned Andy your toolkit concept as well from rather than you know, seeing that as being something compulsory that's actually a, a requirement um, that everybody should meet. So I think we're going to look at unpicking a lot of these principles of, of instruction over the next sort of few podcasts. But before we wrap up today's conversation, and I've really, really thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, both of you, and I put my teeth back in now. Um, what what one key takeaway, Helen, would you have? I think you kind of touched on a few things, but what would be your one key thing that you would say to take away from uh, the daily review and uh, the initial introductions around the 10 principles? Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, I've worked with schools and worked with teachers and taught for over 20 years, and I think good and great look like lots of different things. Um, and I would encourage teachers to take the principle and give it a go within their context and with their students um, in lots of respects. Um, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress. Um, you know, as teachers, we need to learn and we need to try things out and we need to learn from those things. What the research tells us is that daily review can have a really positive impact when teachers do it regularly and when teachers do it well. So it's about teachers trying it out and thinking about how they get better at it as they progress. Thanks, Helen. Andy, what would you like to share as your key takeaway? Yeah, I'd agree. And um, one thing I'd maybe encourage people to do is, as Helen said, go away and try it, but don't expect overnight results with this. So we know that daily review works when it's embedded over a period of time. So you might not see great results after day four. But once you've been embedding this into your students' lessons for over a period of months, then you will start to see that impact. So don't give up on it too early. Um, but also I'd say like welcome people into your lessons and ask for feedback and you know get people to observe you and, and look at where you're including retrieval um, into your lessons and, and ask how you can do it better. Um, I think the more open you are to that kind of feedback, then that, that can only be a positive thing. Thank you both. That really powerful discussions today and hopefully everyone's aware this is the first of our podcast series. So again, we've been going through a learning experience as well today. Next week, we will be discussing the next step on um, Rosenshine's principles of instruction, presenting new material using small steps. But thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. You can pick up the After the Bell podcast. Um, they're made up of quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things education. 
and you can listen to them on your commute home or jogging on the treadmill or even whilst you're cooking. And we're going to be covering all sorts of areas alongside Rose and Shine's principles, including metacognition and maths manipulatives. Um, and it's aimed for any kind of person within education. So early careers teachers, if you're an aspirational or existing middle leader, support staff, or looking for maths and English support as well. If everybody's not aware, Thirsty Scholars Partnership is made up of um, part of the Classroom Partnership Collective. They're a group of brands of education service organisers who've been providing whole school recruitment and professional development services and support in the UK and internationally since 1999. And we invite our experts here within our community to provide their insights and support to our educator network. You've been listening to After the Bell. Thank you so much to Helen Morgan and Andy Bridge today. And we look forward to catching up with you soon.